just a clarification as you come back. Uh, on the slides, it said that the Christmas decorating is Saturday. In the bulletin, it says it is on Friday. The truth is it's on Friday. So please come on Friday uh, if you can help us decorate the church for Christmas. It looks beautiful uh, when it happens. If you've been here and, and seen the Christmas decorations, it's, it's great. So join us if you can for that, please. Um, Hope everybody's Thanksgiving was well. Uh, I see some of you have family members here still from Thanksgiving. For us this Thanksgiving, uh, me and my siblings descended on Kansas City, Missouri. I think we may even have a picture of here of my family. Um, there we are. Uh, there's 32 of us. There's, there's brothers and sisters and grandpas and grandmas and nieces and nephews and great-grandchildren and and uh, we all come together in Kansas City, Missouri at my sister's house and kind of inhabit this house for three days. And it goes through a cycle every year. Uh, we gather there on Wednesday and everybody is very cordial. Everybody's very nice. Lots of smiles, lots of hugs, lots of kisses. How are you doing? How's work going? How's school going? How are your sports? You know, things like that. It's all very happy and very friendly and very cordial. But then we get to Thursday, and people start to get a little bit chippy because, to be honest, we can only be nice for so long. And so people start cussing. They start vocalizing their opinions. Uh, it starts to get a little bit difficult. No wonder why football is so popular on Thanksgiving. We need a break from the chippiness. But then we get to Friday, and it devolves into literally just a toxic atmosphere. Uh, and this happens every year. And so let me just give you an example from this year. So this year, one of uh, my family members was staying at a hotel, and we decided that Friday morning we would get everybody from the family together to go swimming uh, at the hotel swimming pool. And afterwards, we would go and open Christmas presents that we give to each other in the, in the breakfast room of that hotel room. So we get there probably about 20 minutes late, and really there's only a few of my family members there, and they are angry. Uh, they are mad. You can just feel, you can feel the tension in that pool area. And it's a small little pool area, which makes this even more interesting. And so uh, I walk in and I feel the tension and my kids start playing and my wife is there and like a good pastor and father and son, I decided, you know what, I'm going to fill up the van with gas. And so I took off because um, we were leaving right after and it needed to be done. And so I went to fill up the van with gas and of course, uh, took my time there, and while I'm filling up with gas, I get a text from my wife who says that one family member in particular won't stop yelling and screaming in the hotel pool area, and I'm thinking, sweet, this is great. So, so I drive back to the hotel, and as I get out of my car, one of my siblings is getting out, and, and they just come up to me, and they're crying, and so I give them a hug, and I say, what's going on? And they say, oh, last night was a horrible night. Why? Well, one of their children had really kind of lost it and had broken some glass in the hallway, had run away. Uh, the cops were called. They came back, and so it was just a, a, a difficult night. And so we, we hugged and we cried and we prayed and we back, went back in. Thankfully, the Lord had brought down the toxicity a little bit so we could kind of enjoy one another uh, before we left. Matter of fact, we, we ate lunch and left and I, I was praying for the lunch and I just said, Lord, we are not perfect, but we are family and we are thankful for one another and we all laughed and um, it's, it's kind of funny because my brother, even on the way down to Kansas City, he sent out a text message uh, with one of those, you know, word 
picture things, and it, and it simply said, my family would make Dr. Phil need a therapist. And that's kind of uh, what we discovered to be true. But what's so interesting about Thanksgiving, this season of Thanksgiving, is how it can just completely expose our depravity, can it? Um, not only of our family, but also of us. I know for me, uh, all week, I was battling couch potato syndrome, if you know what that is. I, I'm gone, I'm out of my house, so I'm thinking, all right, vacation time. And so I had to peel myself off the couch and say, do you need help with anything? Oh, no, I think I'm okay. All right, I'll see you later. And I go back and, you know, watch some football or whatever it might be. And just how I want to control situations and I see my own selfishness in the midst. Of, it's, it's just amazing how, how this gathering of family, this, this day of giving thanks just exposes our depravity. And this happens year after year after year after year. And, and in the midst of it, you're asking and you're praying and you're wondering, Lord, will, will this change? Can you can you grow me? Can you grow us as a family in Christ's likeness and Christ's loveliness towards one another? And today's passage speaks directly to that. If you would, please open up to John chapter 14. It's page 901 in the Red Bible. It's 1071 in the large print blue Bible and 1165 in the children's Bible. If you notice in your bulletin, the title is different than the title on the screen, this, this passage is so thick. I wrote actually three different sermons. I'm not sure if I came up with the best one, but it's what you get. Don't throw a fit. So, um, but I think, I think for, for those of us who have experienced the joy of Thanksgiving and the depravity of our hearts in the midst of it um, can be ministered to deeply by this passage. And God's, God's word is not only timeless, but it is also timely. So let's read. Uh, you can follow along as I read John chapter 14. I will start in verse 15 and read through verse 26. John 14 verse 15. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you, while I am still with you, 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about giving thanks, we thank you for your word. That you do not leave us to figure out our hearts in this world on our own, but you give us instruction and you give us hope. Pray, Lord God, that through your word you would transform us into the likeness and loveliness of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Four times in today's passage, Jesus says that those who love him will keep his commandments. It says that very thing in verse 15, but then we look at verse 21 and Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus says it again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In the verse 24, Jesus says it from a negative perspective. He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, what is so interesting is that in the very next chapter, in John chapter 15, Jesus is going to be talking about the vine and the branches. And he is going to be talking about bearing the fruit of righteousness, of following the commands of Jesus. And in that passage, Jesus says to his apostles, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here's the tension. In in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will bear fruit. You will grow in Christ's likeness. This will happen. And yet in John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, which is okay so far. But what we see throughout this passage is that Jesus tells his apostles that he is going away. That he is leaving them. And so how is it that if Jesus, their power source, their teacher, their instructor, who leads them in righteousness, that helps them bear fruit, who who apart from him can do nothing, how can Jesus say to them, you will obey my commands if you love me, when he is leaving them? It's like if I said to my kid, kid, I want you to pick up this log and carry it to the other side today. Other side of the yard. By the way, you cannot pick up this log on your own. You need my help. By the way, I'm leaving now and I'm not coming back till tomorrow. Have fun. This is kind of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving. Have fun. And so the question is, how can Jesus make this promise to us that if we love him, we will obey his commands? How can we, a a struggling, powerless people, grow in Christ's likeness and Christ's loveliness towards one another when our power source, our teacher, Jesus, is not on earth but is in heaven. How can this happen? And the simple answer is that we need another helper. And the helper we need, good news, is the helper God provides. 
Now, before we dig in and investigate how this helper helps us, I want to lay some foundation. So look at verse 16 with me again. And there are three words here I want to highlight. Verse 16 first, it says, Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So the first word I want to highlight in that verse is the word another. He will give you another helper. This means that there was a preceding helper, right? There's a first helper. Jesus asked for another helper. We know that first helper, given the context, is Jesus. Jesus, who was their teacher, their instructor, their rabbi. But Jesus is going away. And so he asked the Father to send them another helper. And he is confident that the Father will do that. The second word I want to highlight for you is the word forever. Jesus was the first helper, and Jesus' ministry of helping was over the course of three years, but he was going away to heaven. But the second helper that is to come is to come forever, meaning that the second helper would continue the work of the first helper, but would never leave us. The third word that I want to highlight here in verse 16 is the word helper. This is a title that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit, the helper. You may notice if you have a different translation of the Bible that this word, this title is translated differently. In the King James Version, instead of helper, it calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. In the NIV, it calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. The reason for this is because the Greek words used here, parakaleo, uh, is a combination of two Greek terms, which is para, meaning alongside of, and kletos, which means called. And so literally, the Greek translation of parakleo or paraklete, as the Holy Spirit is called, is one who is called alongside of. And so the reason why it uses the term advocate, because that's what an advocate is. An advocate is one who is called alongside of another person to fight in their defense, right? Or a comforter is one who comes alongside someone to encourage them when they're feeling discouraged. And both of these are true of the Holy Spirit. But I think the translation helper is best in this particular context because Remember, what Jesus is telling us is Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I don't know if we need an advocate to obey the commands or a comforter. We need a helper. Because apart from Jesus, what can we do? Nothing. And so here, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a paraclete, which is a helper, to help us grow in Christ's likeness and Christ's loveliness, even in the midst of a family Thanksgiving. And so with this in mind, we want to look at this passage and ask, how does the Holy Spirit help us keep Christ's commands, grow in Christ's likeness, conform us into the image of Jesus? And what Jesus communicates to us in this passage today is that for those who love Jesus, the Holy Spirit helper teaches us and transforms us and tabernacles us. And that is our hope of growing in the likeness of Christ. First, the Holy Spirit helper teaches us. Verse 15 again. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments 
Now, before we can keep Christ's commandments, we have to know what Christ's commandments are, right? So verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And so Jesus gives another title here to the Holy Spirit, calling the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. What we know from scripture is that from the very beginning, Satan is a deceiver who deceives mankind into thinking that joy and happiness is found in rebellion against God. And a simple Thanksgiving gathering or turning on the nightly news can show you that Satan is very persuasive and that we are very gullible. So God sends Jesus to be the first helper teacher And then the Holy Spirit to be the second helper teacher to untrain our brains, to deprogram us from the fake news that Satan has been spewing at us since the Garden of Eden so that we can now learn and know and see and hear and taste the goodness of the truth of God. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so verse 25 continues. And Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, because he's their helper, their teacher. But the helper, the second one, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is pure truth, free from all error. And this is so important because we believe that the Bible is written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit, guided and directed. And so this is the word of God without error. It is pure truth given to reprogram our minds and our hearts to what is right and to what is good. But what the Holy Spirit does is it doesn't only help men write the scriptures, but it helps men and women understand the scriptures. The Holy Spirit helps us to see and to know and to comprehend the truth that is written in God's word. You know, when I was in elementary school, I had a learning disability. I think the technical term at that time is I was slow. And um, I didn't read fast. Uh, I didn't I didn't process information fast. I didn't, I didn't learn fast. And so the school assigned to me a, a helper to come alongside me, a paraclete, someone who could teach me these things that were being spoken of in class. They could slow down and, and walk alongside of me one-on-one. They called them at that time a resource teacher. I don't know what they call them today. But she patiently would walk with me and talk with me, and process with me to teach me the things that that all the other kids were learning in class. For example, she was the one who told me how to correctly spell the word friend. She She would always say to me, a true friend is a friend to the end. Okay, you know it. Good. All right, way to go. So, so, so I know to end the word friend with the word end because a true friend is a friend until the end. And so she would teach me these things. She was my paraclete. She was my helper. Friends, when we read God's word, we are not only limited creatures studying an unlimited God, but all of us have a learning disability called sin. We come to God's word with our own blind spots, our own agendas, our own cultural perspectives, and our own hard-heartedness. But God, 
who through men inspired the Holy Spirit, through, excuse me, through the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Holy Scriptures, also sends the Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the teacher to come alongside us, to help us understand the word when we read it, when we hear it, when it is proclaimed. And so, friend, if you read the Bible and it starts to make sense to you and you start to find truth in it and you start to treasure it, that is the work of the helper of the Holy Spirit that is deprogramming the deadly lies of Satan that are buried deep inside and training us in the truths of the glory of the gospel. And so how does the Holy Spirit helper conform powerless people like us into the likeness and loveliness of Christ? Well, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is teaches us, teaches God's truth to our minds and to our hearts. The second thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit helper transforms us. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, commentators disagree on what Jesus means here by, I will come to you. One opinion is that Jesus is talking about his physical resurrection three days after his death when he visibly and tangibly appears to the apostles and to hundreds of others. Personally, I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about because Jesus says here, I will not leave you as orphans, which, which to me seems to communicate a sustained presence, right? And Jesus is only returning for 40 days. And so I don't think he's talking about his resurrection. Another opinion is that Jesus is talking about his second coming when he will return and bring judgment and restoration upon the earth. But the problem with, with that view is that... Um, as we see in verse 19, Jesus says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And so Jesus is saying, the world won't see me, but you will see me. But when, when Christ returns, sorry, follow me with this, everybody will see Jesus, okay? So the third option, which is my opinion, so of course is correct, um, it's a joke, is, is when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you is that Jesus is talking about Pentecost. When Jesus comes in the form of the Holy Spirit to believers, and the reason I think this is what Jesus is saying is not only because Jesus was already talking about the Holy Spirit, but also because of what we read down below in verse 21 through 22. Look with me. Verse 21 again, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, Jesus is saying that he's going to come to them. He's going to manifest himself to them. And so the question is, how is Jesus going to manifest himself to those who love him in a way that the world won't see him? Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. Uh, I love that that's in there just to make sure we know this isn't the betrayer, said to him, the same questions we're asking, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, and it's a very interesting answer. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So I don't know if you, you see this, but when Jesus' disciples ask how are you going to manifest yourself 
to us, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so what it seems is that Jesus is saying here is that the way that he comes to us, the way that he shows himself to us, the way that he manifests himself to us is in our obedience to his commands. Jesus will manifest himself by actually remaking us into his image through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, three times in this passage, Jesus states this so matter-of-factly that those who love him will obey his commands. And in all of these verses, I think it's really important to point out that in none of these is there an imperative. It means none of these is a command. In none of these is Jesus saying, you must do what I command you. He says that elsewhere, but here, that's not the point. What Jesus is saying is that if you love me, you will be conformed into the image of Christ. You will be transformed into the image of Christ. You will grow in obedience to Christ. If you love Christ, Christ like obedience is unavoidable. How encouraging is that? Because those who love Jesus are transformed by the Holy Spirit helper into the image of Jesus. Not that we start to look like him physically with the beard and sandals and whatever Jesus looked like. But as the Holy Spirit teaches us God's truth, our character and our obedience and our passions are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so to put it simply, Jesus manifests himself to us by manifesting himself in us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is transforming us into his image. You can think of it, well, let me read a couple quotes. Romans 8, 29 puts it this way. It says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, talking to Christians, says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, talking about Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven talking about Jesus. So I know this is kind of hard to grasp. Imagine, imagine it like this glove, this brown knit, dirty brown knit glove, okay? You know, if you just have it by itself, it's kind of limp, it's formless. But when the glove is invaded by the hand, what happens? The glove is conformed to the hand and it starts to take on the image of the hand, the shape of my hand. In the same way, when Christ invades our life through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. This is the fruit of Christ in us. You know, I remember one time I was leading a devotional for our elders, and I asked the question, I said, hey, when you are doubting that the gospel is true, what do you do to, to reassure yourself, to remind yourself that the gospel is true? And one of the elders, who's one of the kindest, gentlest, most thoughtful men I've ever met, said, you know, I know the gospel is true because of the way Jesus changed me. And I remember thinking, wait, like you weren't always this kind, this gentle, and this loving? I mean, I just pictured like you came out of your mother's womb just, just nice and, and happy and, and gracious, you see, what he was saying is that I know Jesus lives because Jesus lives inside of me, because he has changed me, because he's conforming me into the image of Christ. 
Christian, whenever you say, I'm not who I used to be, or I would be so different if it were not for Jesus, what we are saying is that we have been transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus has manifested his existence, his character, and his power in us. Friends, this is a glorious and profound mystery. But Jesus manifests himself to us by manifesting himself in us. And so how does the Holy Spirit help our conform powerless people like us into the likeness and loveliness of Christ? First, by teaching God's truth to our minds and to our hearts. But secondly, by transforming us to manifest the person of Christ within us. Finally, the Holy Spirit helper grows us in Christ's likeness when he tabernacles us. To tabernacle means to inhabit or to take up residence. And throughout this passage, what we are reminded of time and again is that the Holy Spirit is not a helper that simply comes alongside of us, but the Holy Spirit is a helper that dwells within us. This is seasoned, again, throughout the passage, and it is key, really, to to what we've already studied, that, that God is going to teach us through the Holy Spirit, that God is going to transform us through the Holy Spirit. He does this not from the outside, but he does this from the inside out. And so we get to verse 17 in the second half, and we read this. Jesus says, you know him, talking about the Holy Spirit helper, For he dwells with you and will be in you. This is amazing because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelt temporarily in the tabernacle built by men. But now Jesus is saying the Spirit of God is going to tabernacle in you forever. Verse 19, second half, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live because the spirit is inside us because Jesus is in us there is a double resurrection buy one get one free right like Jesus raises from the dead we're raised with him verse 20 in that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you try to draw that in a picture you know, when I read that verse there, verse 20, I think of those Russian nesting dolls, you know, where, where they're egg-shaped and you pull one apart and there's one that looks just like it underneath it and then you pull that one apart and there's another one just underneath it. It's like, it's like he's saying, okay, so there's the Father and, and I am in the Father, so you pull off the top one and there's Jesus, right? And then, and then you are in me and so you pull that one off and there I am, I'm in Jesus. But then Jesus blows the illustration apart by saying, and I and you. And so there is no physical illustration we can use for this. Maybe a vine and branches, which comes next chapter. But just Jesus is saying that not only do you live in Jesus, but Jesus lives in you. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And then notice this. And we talking about the Father and the Son, we will come to him and make our home or our abode with him. What this passage teaches us is that while the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct and unique, they're really kind of inseparable. 
I mean, I think it's common knowledge. Uh, I actually, this was funny. It happened in our community group. I said to someone in our community group, does God the Father dwell inside of you? And he said, no, the Holy Spirit does. I said, all right, why don't you read this verse for me? <laughs> what we see in this passage is Jesus says, we, the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So does the Father, so does the Son. Jesus is saying the Trinitarian God of the universe dwells in you. And he makes you his home. You know, several years ago, uh, we lived on Menlo Park, and our house was getting a little tight, first world problems, but we had one shower for six people, and when visitors came, it just got awkward, so we thought, you know, let's, let's look and see what else is out there. And we got connected to this house on Jeremiah Court, so we went out there, and we walked through it, and it was empty. There was no furniture in it. There were no beds in it. There were no lights. There, there was nothing. Nobody was living in there. When you drove back, it, back past it at night, it was, it was all dark. Um, because there was no one in it. It was a house. But then a few weeks later, the Jackson family moved into this house with all of our furniture, all of our noise, all of our energy and emotions and joy and laughter. And so when the Jacksons moved into this house, it became a home. You see, the difference between a house and a home is a house is simply a building. It is a structure, but a home is a place where someone dwells. A house is that abandoned property on your street where the weeds grow up and it gets dilapidated because there's no one to take care of it. There's no light in it. There's no life in it. But a home is the place that is full of life and light and that those who dwell in it are always in the process of restoring it. Friends, is your heart a house or is it a home? Is it a house empty, lifeless, lightless, dilapidated with no one to renovate it? Or is it a home with the Trinitarian God of the universe dwelling inside of it, giving you life and light and constantly in the process of restoration? Jesus goes on, verse 24, he says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are saying the same thing, no surprise, that you cannot be a Christian and be unchanged. But more so, the restoration that you desire is impossible apart from the tabernacling of the Trinitarian God inside of you. The reason Jesus can say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is not because he has confidence in his disciples, but confidence in the Trinitarian God that dwells within his disciples. The Trinitarian God is in you if you love Jesus, and he is at work on you, and he's not going to grow weary. He is not going to give up on you because he is in the process, the business of restoration. God is dwelling in you. So God can work on you and give you life and restoration. Let me end with this. Several years ago, just before the men's retreat, I was grabbing lunch with um, my friend Jim. He might be here. And, uh, and we were sitting on the couches at Kavarna. If you've ever been there on the first level, they're the main, the main level. And I, I looked at Jim. was near the end of the meeting. I said, Jim, um, just so you know, I'm going to throw up and pass out. 
And, uh, and so next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to consciousness. Uh, this has happened to me before. And I'm coming to consciousness, and, and Jim had appropriated one of their trash cans. And so uh, I throw up in the trash can, and I look up, and I see out in front of Kavarna, there is a fire truck, and there are these, these huge hunky men coming towards me uh, in these nice outfits. And so they come up to me, and one of the first responders, the EMT guy, comes up to me. And he says, how you feel? I'm like, I'm fine. You know, I'm done with this. It's over. And, and he's like, do you think you could drive home? And I'm like, yeah, I think I could drive home. And he said, well, well, can you walk? I'm like, no, I can't walk. And so he's like, well, uh, you probably shouldn't drive home then, which is probably um, the right thing to say. And so, so I had these EMT, hunky EMT guys carrying me out. I can't remember if it was on a stretcher or what it was. And they hand me off and put me in the ambulance. And so the ambulance people are taking care of me. They're driving me to the hospital. And when we get to the hospital, they take me and they hand me off to Uh, the ER, which takes me and gives me medicine so that I I don't throw up anymore and so that I can sleep. It it was nothing much. It happens to me every once in a while. But you know what? In those situations, I hate hate receiving help from others, Uh, especially in such a public venue where everybody can see it. It's kind of embarrassing. But when you are completely incapable of functioning, your only hope of recovery It's the help of others, even a team of others. Friends, in ourselves, we are so completely incapable of spiritual life and spiritual growth. It takes a Trinitarian team to save you. God the Father is the architect of the plan of salvation. The Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to take on your sin, to pay for it in full upon the cross, and to raise, to give us resurrection life. And then God the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart and new ears and new eyes to see and to hear and to receive the gift of salvation purchased by Christ upon the cross. But friends, this is where the Trinitarian team is different than the first responders. You see, the first responders handed me off to the next group of people. But what we learn here in the scriptures is that the same Trinitarian team that saves you is the same Trinitarian team that sanctifies you. Which means that this Trinitarian team of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work conforming you into the image of Christ. And so how can we, a helpless, powerless people, be conformed into the likeness of Christ? Only through the help of another. The Holy Spirit helper who does nothing less Then apply the invasive Trinitarian work of Almighty God to teach us the truths of God in our minds and in our hearts to transform us to manifest the person of Christ in our character and in our longings and to tabernacle inside of us to give us life and to carry out the ongoing work of restoration to conform us into the likeness and loveliness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, when we are weak, we are strong. Because we seek not to trust in our own abilities, in our own knowledge, in our own strengths, but we lean upon you, our great helper, to change and transform and to rescue us 
from ourselves. Lord, as we turn to the table now, we give thanks for your salvific work, for your death upon the cross. Remind us, help us to rejoice in our salvation in the midst of these elements, but also, God, remind us through these elements that we are nourished by you, that you nourish us to grow into godliness, to grow in Christ's likeness for our good, for our freedom, and for your glory. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, said, take, eat, this is my body. In the same way he took the cup after supper, he said, drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, as we hold these elements, as we partake of these elements, it is not only a reminder of the sacrificial death of Christ, but it's also a reminder that Christ lives in us through his Holy Spirit. As we take these in, as we ingest these elements, we are reminded Jesus is in us and Jesus is changing us and transforming us and restoring us and he will not quit. If you're here today and and you're struggling with sin, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the club. We call you to come and to repent of your sins and to cry out for God to change you that you would surrender more of your life to Christ, to be more like Christ, and to enjoy more of Christ. And so if you come today trusting in Christ for your salvation and for your sanctification, your growth in godliness, this is for you to nourish you in that process. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if your heart is just a house, if you have never made it the home of the living God, please do not take of these elements because you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And so wait till you can take it when you have a home of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Well, several ushers set up throughout the sanctuary. Please go and take the elements, bring them back to your seat. We'll partake together as one body, the body of Jesus Christ.